0: I think back to when I was in high school up in New York and then later in college here in Virginia. And I remember that despite all of the talk about the importance of diversity, most people, myself included, rarely had friendships that extended across racial lines. Certainly not close friendships anyway. Most people more or less socialized within their own race. I suspect that this wasn't so much so much a matter of outright racism in most cases, but just a matter of indifference, combined with perhaps not wanting to make the effort to get to know someone who was somewhat different from you. But then after college, I went to England to pursue graduate studies at the University of London. The university, like the City of London itself, is very international, and hence multinational and multiracial and I was living at the university's Catholic Newman Center. So I was surrounded by students who were all Catholic, but from many different races and countries around the world. And one of the things I discovered was how easy it was to make friends with students who were from all very different backgrounds, whether African or Asian or Latin American. Looking back, I think one of the reasons why such friendships formed when I had rarely seen or experienced this growing up in the United States, is because the mix of students were th- that were there were of such completely different backgrounds that we found each other interesting. Whereas people who are all from the same country often don't make the effort to get to know and befriend those of different races, despite the fact that, as Americans, at root, we all have a lot more in common. Thus, I found it a little odd, when I thought about it, that I had three or four African friends over there in London, but no real close African-American friends back home. And so we have the paradox that often what is familiar, but only a little different, is rejected. But what is completely foreign is often regarded as exotic, and thus eagerly embraced. We perhaps see something of this dynamic in the reactions to the signs of Christ's birth in the gospel reading today. The Magi did not come from a Jewish background. They were Persian, probably from as far away as present day Baghdad, which at the time was a noted center of astronomical learning. These Magi were not drawn towards Jesus by the revelation of scripture which was not part of their culture and was probably unknown to them, but by the signs occurring in the heavens. Yet when they reached the child Jesus after what might might have been as long as a two-year journey, their reactions were pure joy. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of this for a little Jewish boy their reaction wasn't one of impersonal distance and observations, despite the fact that they were scientists. Instead, their intellectual curiosity led them to a place where they found not mere answers, but the true object of loving devotion, the incarnate word. By contrast, the reaction of King Herod, who had the benefit of at least being nominally Jewish and was the ruler of a Jewish kingdom, his reaction was fear and suspicion, despite the fact that he had the chief priests and the scribes to help him understand the revelation of Scripture. He, of all persons, should have known that the Messiah would be a prince of peace. Yet King King Herod feared that Jesus was a threat to his rule. He was comfortable with his own position of power. Anything that would threaten that needed to be eliminated. And so, of course, we know that King Herod ordered the slaughter of all children, who might have been born around the time of Jesus. We see a similar reaction among the many Jews that Jesus would later encounter in his ministry. Admittedly, most were far less violent than Herod. But somewhat like him, they had a false sense of familiarity with the scriptures that led them to reject the incarnate word who walked among them. They failed to see how Jesus, a fellow Jew, was the fulfillment of all prophecy. We recall that his townspeople in Nazareth rejected him. They said, oh, he's Mary and Joseph's son. Who does he think he is? Where is his authority for saying all of this? That's why Jesus would famously say, a prophet is not without honor except in his native place. Yet it was often those on the margins of Jewish society, such as the poor and the outcasts, or even those outside of the margins of Jewish society altogether, such as the Canaanite woman, who most often eagerly embraced Christ as their Savior. And this was the experience of Christianity not just during the lifetime of Jesus. We also see in the contrasting ministry of the apostles in the region of Israel and St. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean world. Those who should have recognized Christ as coming from their own Jewish tradition were often the first to reject him, while those who were outside of that were often the first to embrace him. It's a sad reality that oftentimes a kind of partial familiarity with something breeds contempt, or at least indifference. That's one reason why friendships which span racial and genuine ethnic and religious divides are still, sadly, in our world, somewhat uncommon. It's why often contempt and great difficulties can attend those relationships that should be the closest and the most loving, as between spouses, or between parents and children, or between siblings themselves. It's why some Christians, in the famous words of C.S. Lewis, can go from praying for the salvation of the world, or some other such lofty concern, to beating or insulting their spouse and children, often in the span of less than a half hour. As people, most of us who have been Christians all of our lives and who still live in a predominantly Christian culture, we have to guard against that kind of resigned familiarity with which we can sometimes treat the gospel message. As Pope Francis said, we must never lose the sense of newness and freshness that is in the gospel. But too easily, we often allow a kind of Shallow familiarity with the gospel to cause us to shoehorn it into our other concerns, or maybe to suppress it altogether, as though it has nothing more to teach us. We fail to retain the wonder and awe of the Magi. We must always recall their words, spoken in rapt anticipation. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and we have come to do him homage."